Hello, welcome to the Recruiting Trail. I'm your host, Andrew Nimick of the Oregonian and Oregon Live, bringing you the latest in recruiting for the Oregon Ducks, Oregon State Beavers, and Oregon High School Athletics. A ton to get to this week. Oregon has a big win over Ohio State. What does that mean for recruiting? Oregon State's on the board with a big win, hosting a number of in-state visitors. How did those visits go? A number of Oregon High School athletes are putting themselves on the map. And when it comes to recruiting, one of the other big pieces of news is the firing of Clay Helton as USC's head football coach. What will that mean? What are the ramifications of that? And and really, we need to start with the Oregon Ducks in, against Ohio State beating the Buckeyes on the road, 35-28. Oregon's had bigger wins in their history, obviously some bowl wins. You could even make an argument that some of the uh, games formerly known as the Civil War, some of those wins that then clinched Rose Bowl berths or clinched trips to a national championship game were more meaningful for the program. But in terms of a bigger statement, you'd be hard-pressed to find a regular season game that was a bigger statement for the Oregon Ducks than their win over Ohio State. Just an absolutely massive win for the Ducks. Uh, Sports Business Journal has reported that since the victory, Oregon Apparel sales for Oregon Apparel has gone up 425%. So they're selling four, a little more than four times more Oregon gear than they were a week ago. It is a monster win, and it will have monster ramifications on the recruiting trail. But recruiting is a long game, and I keep hammering that point home. I, Seven McGee, the freshman running back who might get some run against Stony Brook here this weekend, he committed over 900 days ago. I started writing about him two and a half years ago as a potential big get for the Oregon program. He's just now a true freshman. Sometimes some of these guys will commit, and it's four or five years before they earn a starting job with the Oregon Ducks football program. So Oregon's had three good, amazing years of recruiting results. Prior to Mario Cristobal being the head coach, Oregon had never signed the number one recruiting class in the Pac-12. They've done it three straight years with Mario Cristobal at the helm. This is year four. Right now, they are number seven in the nation, number one in in the Pac-12. They're looking to do it for a fourth straight year. But because of COVID, Mario Cristobal's first recruiting class, they're still, still just sophomores and redshirt freshmen. Think about that. Mario Cristobal doesn't have an upperclassman on the team that he recruited as the head coach. It's wild. This team is loaded with talent. It's all very young talent. And so this is a long game. And why I say that is because I think Oregon fans or some Oregon fans think, okay, we beat Ohio State. We're going to get some major commitments down the stretch here in the class of 2022. That may be possible. Oregon's still very much in the mix for Cyrus Moss, who I think is going to end up being a five-star edge rusher, but I don't necessarily think the Oregon-Ohio State game is going to be the reason. I've already predicted he'll choose Oregon. The Ducks have 20 commitments already. They may only take 23, 24 players in this class. So as it stands right now, even if Oregon makes, a, in air quotes here, a huge splash the rest of the way, it might only move the needle for a handful of, of new commitments for this recruiting cycle because Oregon's mostly done with this recruiting class unless they drop guys. And to be completely candid, I think Oregon probably should mutually part ways with three, four, five of their bottom recruits because they got them before Oregon's profile has risen even that much more. 
And I, I think that's disappointing to some fans who hear that, that, that that's the way it goes, but that is the way it goes. That's what Alabama does. It's what Clemson does. It's what Ohio State does. They'll take commitments early. And then as things progress and suddenly maybe that kid doesn't develop and another kid jumps up and becomes the number three or four defensive end, the number three or four linebacker, the number three or four quarterback in the country, they go, hey, we're going to switch gears a little bit here. So I think unless Oregon does that, we're going to see pretty minimal impact from this win in particular, this Oregon win over Ohio State. We are not going to see major recruiting impact from that until next recruiting cycle, the class of 2023. And we're already seeing it. Spencer Fano, the number three offensive tackle in the country, excited to make his return trip to Oregon, has a close relationship, says, you know, it sh- the win showed the culture of the O-line. Reuben Owens, the five-star running back, number two running back in the country out of Texas. He now wants to visit Oregon. He said, I think something special is is going on in Oregon. And, and even, you know, tagged Kelvin Banks on his tweet and said, hey, Kelvin, maybe we can link up in Eugene. And and Kelvin's like, hey, man, uh, he says something like, hey, you already know how I feel about that connection or you already know how I feel about it, meaning I'd love for you to come. I think Oregon's big impact is going to be in 2023. And if, if, and it's, it's a big if, it's not the world's biggest if, but it's a big if, if Oregon makes the college football playoff this year, or even if Oregon makes a big time run and makes it to the Rose Bowl, wins a Pac-12 title, makes it to the Rose Bowl, 2023 class is going to be the class that's the best in program history, in my opinion. I said it a couple years ago, and it proved to be right. I I said about this early, the same amount, you know, as I said for this 2023 class, because we're what, 16 months away from signing day for 2023? That's about when I said 2020, uh, the 2020 class would be the best in program history. and, And that's what happened. You can see the writing on the wall more than a year out. And this 2023 class, they're fired up about the Ducks. There's a lot of good things going on. When you hear five-star running back Ruben Owens out of Texas is interested. Spencer Fano is really interested. The number three offensive tackle in the country this uh, this next weekend, not this coming one against Stony Brook, but two weekends from now against Arizona. Two of the top 16 quarterbacks in the country are visiting Oregon. Pierce Clarkson, a St. John Bosco, the same school that produced DJ Uyunglele, and Javance Tui Puata Johnson, the number 16 quarterback in the country. Both those guys will be visiting Oregon in a couple of weeks. Oregon's going to have some battles where they're going to be able to pick. And I've even heard recruits tell me from 2022, we have more interest than we have spots. Because even the recruits are getting hit, hit up now. The commits are getting hit up from guys saying, hey, I, you're committed to Oregon. Can you link me up to the coaching staff? And that's, that's where the, this thing is evolving into where the coaching staff's finding out from some of these commits, like, Hey, this kid would love to be a part of this program. So Oregon's going to be able to be selective with these last few spots. But if you're an Oregon fan and you're going, okay, Oregon, Ohio state, big win. That means 2022 is going to be huge. It's not how it works. Time and time again, we've seen with programs, it's hard to splice out what what run mattered most for an Alabama, for an Ohio State, for a Clemson, because they've been in that college football playoff every year, or they're in the Heisman hunt with a big time player every year. But if you take a look at the programs that kind of shoot up, that year that Stanford maybe has a big year, the years that Oregon's had a big year, the years that USC has cropped up, the years that uh, Baylor popped up when they had Robert Griffin III. There are years where, not outlier programs, but the, the programs that are just below the Alabama's, Ohio State's, Clemson's, that they make a run. 
And we see time and time again, that recruiting cycle, the current recruiting cycle, they don't see much of an uptick from that. It's the next year. And that next year tends to be huge. Mario Cristobal wins the Heisman. Oregon wins a national title. They made a run at one of the best classes in program history, not that current year, but the next year. And so that's what I really focused on with 2023. You know, after that win, I talked to 2023 kids. 2022 kids are going to say, yeah, it was awesome. I already have a top three. Yeah, it was awesome. Maybe Oregon can jump in. And they might. Oregon might suddenly enter the mix for a kid that already had a top five of other schools. That might happen. Might happen a time or two. But in terms of when they really make a run and you see the widespread ramifications of a win like this and the potential of this season, it's going to be 2023. And again, if Mario Cristobal stays and this, and this coaching staff largely stays intact, 2023 will be the best recruiting class in program history. And we will very likely be talking about three, four, five, five-star prospects. We will very likely be talking about 15 four-star prospects. Keep in mind, people are talking about how great this Oregon team is right now because they have, I think, five or six five-star prospects and 44 four-star prospects. They signed 16, 17 of those four-star prospects in the last class. So more than a third, more than a third of the four-star prospects in the program come from one recruiting class. And because guys are redshirting, there is essentially five recruiting classes at Oregon, or at any college at any given time. There are five recruiting classes because guys redshirt. So for Oregon to have more than a third of their four-star prospects be true freshmen, that tells you the depth of the talent is coming from the younger group, meaning this program is going to get better and better and better. It really is incredible what Mario Cristobal is building if he stays at Oregon. And I don't think this USC job is going to move the needle, but at some point he could. If he stays, if he decides, you know what, I'm just going to build Oregon into an empire. That is what Oregon is becoming. Again, prior to Cristobal being at Oregon, they'd never signed the number one recruiting class in the Pac-12. In his first three years as head coach, he's done it all three times. This is his fourth year as head coach during a recruiting cycle. And right now, Oregon's class is number seven in the nation, number one in the Pac-12 conference. And the only real threat to catch them right now is USC. And they don't have a head coach. Which brings me to my next misconception in recruiting. Oregon, Ohio State, huge win. Should see ramifications right away. No. Oregon's going to make a big, big push though in 2023 because this win did move the needle. I've talked to 2023 kids, 2022 kids. Again, they're largely established. First misconception, big time season doesn't affect that current recruiting class. It affects the next year. So 2023 could be massive. Second misconception is that a head coach firing is a massive deal in recruiting. It is, but not in the way a lot of people think. I've covered a number of coaches firings. I've covered a number of coaches moving on, whether it's Willie Taggart, Mark Helfrich, Gary Anderson, Corey Hall was it was an interim coach for Oregon State for a little while. I've also seen it happen at a number of Pac-12 programs. I've covered the fallout of coach firings because when, you know, a coach leaves from Washington, if Chris Peterson leaves and they hire Jimmy Lake, for example, you wonder, are those kids going to leave? Is Oregon going to be able to pick off some of those recruits? 
you start to wonder about it and you start to ask kids about it. And what I've found time and time and time again and what we're seeing again at USC, the head coach getting fired unless he is a Mario Cristobal recruiter doesn't move the needle when they move on. It's when the assistants leave. And you can talk to recruits and they just don't, they just don't get it. They just don't understand that layer. They'll say, well, yeah, X, you know, X head coach is gone, but I'm actually closest to this assistant coach and he's still there. And it's like, well, when a new coach comes in, they often bring in their own staff. And it's like, what? Really? And I'm talking like 90% of kids. And we're seeing it right now with USC. USC has no head coach. Clay Helton's fired. They have not lost a single commitment. And people are like, well, where's the recruiting fallout from for USC? It's not there yet because all the assistants are still there. When they make a hire, if they hire somebody that flips over some of the staff or a large portion of the staff, that's when we will see decommitments. And we will see multiple decommitments. But Clay Helton was not an elite recruiter at USC. When Clay Helton was there, or, or excuse me, excuse me, blah, blah, blah. USC, excuse me, finished a couple of years ago with the last place recruiting class in the Pac-12 in December's early signing period. Early, Dece- early signing period in December comes and goes. USC is last in the Pac-12, behind Washington State, behind Oregon State, behind Arizona. Just one of the worst recruiting performances I've ever seen. You had national guys talking about it saying it's one of the worst recruiting performances in the history of recruiting. Clay Helton didn't move the needle. But he brings in coach Dante Williams, who's now the interim head coach. Surprise, surprise. What is he known for? He's a phenomenal recruiter, particularly in the state of California. And that's when they brought him in and their recruiting pick back up. Not all the way to the glory days of Pete Carroll, but respectable. Number two in the Pac-12, number three in the Pac-12, not 12th. Coach Dante is a needle mover, and that's why they made him the interim head coach. He'll keep the recruiting class together. Now, when a new coach comes in, is he going to want to keep Coach Dante? He may want to. He may want to. But he may have his own defensive coordinator, and that's probably what it would take to keep Coach Dante, is making him your defensive coordinator. Not very many guys want to be position coach, promoted to interim head coach, and then go back to position coach. He's like, yeah, I kind of deserve a bump here, especially since you want to want me because I'm going to keep your recruiting class together. So no recruiting fallout yet for USC. Not a single decommitment so far since Clay Helton's gone. Not a surprise. He wasn't the straw that stirred the drink. His assistants were, and they're all still there. When a new coach comes in, not only will he bring in his own guys, he'll also at times want to bring in his own recruits. Guys, he recruited at other stops, unless, of course, he's coming from the NFL ranks or retired or a couple years off or whatever the case may be. So don't be shocked that USC is dealing with this for another few weeks. Don't be shocked that USC's real fallout hasn't happened yet, and it might a month from now when they announce a coaching hire, a week from now when they announce a coaching hire. Because that's when the coach will have those meetings with those coaches and say, okay, you're here, you're gone, you're gone, you're gone. And the USC recruits will be like, well, wait, that was the coach I was closest with. That's when they'll decommit. And that's when Oregon can potentially capitalize. We've already seen that when a program struggles, there's an opening. Ben Roberts, the four-star defensive lineman, decommits from Washington, doesn't announce his commitment, although it seems very likely he'll choose Oregon. Oregon, or excuse me, Washington loses to Montana. The next day, Ben Roberts, the four-star defensive lineman, probably a defensive tackle, announces he's committed to Oregon. A slow start, even without a coaching change. 
can lead to decommitments. But if you're looking for what is the needle mover for USC, what will be the needle mover if USC fires Jimmy Lake, or excuse me, if Washington fires Jimmy Lake, what will be the needle mover that gets guys to decommit? It won't be the head coach being fired. It will be when the next guy comes in and fires the assistants. Because those are the guys that move that really actually move the needle in recruiting. Oregon's going to be a different scenario. Oregon's a different case. And we saw this with Willie Taggart too. For as much as Willie Taggart may be a con man when it comes to college football and coaching, he can recruit. When he left for Florida State, he took four or five commitments with him because he was the straw that stirred the drink. Now, Mario Cristobal was the offensive line coach. He helped keep a lot of that class together, did a nice job. It's part of the reason he got promoted. And we might see that it's the reason that Dante Williams eventually gets promoted to head coach if USC has a great run here and you know wins out the rest of the way or wins nine games. Maybe they give Dante Williams a shot. But the way that Cristobal earned his was that he kept the recruiting nucleus together, did a nice job, and the players loved him. But Willie Taggart was the straw that stirred the drink. Clay Helton's not. Jimmy Lake's not. When those guys... Potentially, obviously Clay Elton's already gone. If Jimmy Lake does get fired, it won't be his firing that moves the needle. And if Mario Cristobal ever leaves for another job, he will be the outlier. He will be the case that if Mario leaves, and I don't think he's leaving for USC. It's not where I'm going. I'm just saying in general, eventually, if he does, unless he decides to just plant his flag in Oregon forever and forever be Oregon's head coach, which would be wonderful for for Oregon fans because I think he'd build the dynasty. But if he does ever leave, he's the other kind of coach. He's the kind of head coach that it doesn't matter what assistants are still there. He's such a needle mover in recruiting that kids will decommit. Clay Helton was not that guy. Jimmy Lake is not that guy. They're just not. USC, I think the biggest, the scariest thing is that USC could be a monster again. They just need to bring in the right guy. And I know USC fans, I've seen it all over Twitter. Well, the Pac-12 should be scared now because we're going to bring in the right guy and finally beat everybody and be back to the Pete Carroll days. Hey guys, it's been since Pete Carroll left that you guys lived through the dynasty Pete Carroll days. And how many hires have you made since then? And how many swings and misses have you made since then? Let's pump the brakes on the certainty that USC is back to being the perennial champion of the Pac-12. Back then it was the Pac-10. I know everybody thinks that, you know, Clay Helton held the program back, and he probably did. He wasn't a very good recruiter. He wasn't a very good coach. Pretty vanilla on offense. Defense was uninspiring. They weren't very good. But that's been the case for the last several USC coaches. The idea that it's just a slam dunk that USC is going to get it figured out is shenanigans. And how about this feather in Mario Cristobal's cap? He can go into any living room in California right now because, as Inside Joy reported on Twitter, that USC's top choice is Mario Cristobal. Okay, well, there's the off chance he would take the job. Again, don't think it's happening. Don't expect it to happen. I think he'll leverage it to get a big raise at Oregon. That's what I think is going to happen. But, you know, assuming he stays, he can go into any living room in California and be like, oh, it's between us and USC? Guess who USC thinks has the best head coach? Oregon. This logo on my chest right now. So they might be recruiting you, but know that even at USC, they think I'm the better coach. Even at USC, 
they think I'm the guy you should play for. You want to know why? Because they had a coaching opening. And he can say this for however long he wants to, but they had a coaching opening three months ago, six months ago, a year ago, two years ago. You know who they wanted as head coach? Me. You know who Oregon's biggest recruiter recruiting battle is on the West Coast right now? It's USC. And they hold the trump card now for a very long time. It doesn't matter who USC brings in now if Mario Cristobal, again, assuming Mario Cristobal turns the job down, assuming he's offered it the whole deal. But if the, if the reports are true that Mario Cristobal is the lead candidate for USC, he's the guy they want. If that's the truth, Mario Cristobal holds a trump card over USC for, for a long time. Because that's their main competition in recruiting. And he can forever now say, you know who USC thinks is the best? Us. They can't tell you that now because I chose not to go there. I'm here at Oregon. That's another reason that I think 2023 is going to be the best recruiting class in program history for the Ducks. You're going to have to wait 16 months before it's realized because it's December of 2022 that we'll actually experience the early signing period for that class. But that's where I think this is leading. I don't think it matters who USC hires at this point. It'll, if they hire a great hire, it'll sting a little bit, but it's going to take some time for them to re-get to know some of these recruits with a new staff. And not only that, Oregon's coming, going to be coming off what we project to be a big season this year, and Mario Cristobal will hold the trump card over USC all of next year with California recruits. You know who USC thinks the best coach is in the Pac-12? Not their guy. Because he was their second choice, third choice, fourth choice. You know who their first choice was? Me. And if you think Mario Cristobal doesn't know how to use that and leverage that to land California kids, you're crazy. I am sure he's doing backflips that Inside Troy and some of the other USC sources have leaked, hinted at, flat out reported that he's the number one choice at USC. Because if he stays at Oregon, that lives on. It doesn't fight on, but it lives on. And it lives on in Eugene. 2023 going to be a huge year. 2022 going to be a lot of fun. I think Oregon finishes with a top 15 recruiting class. Maybe top 10 now, if they mutually part ways with some of their kids. More of the recruiting reaction from Oregon, Ohio State, a little bit of a discussion about the Beavers and hosting in-state kids this weekend and some Oregon high school football talk. That's all next, right after the break. Welcome back. Still quite a bit to get to uh, on the recruiting trail. I mentioned that 2023 prospects are excited. Ruben Owens wants to schedule an, uh, an unofficial visit here this season. A Texas kid, he knows Kelvin Banks Jr., the five-star offensive tackle, committed to Oregon in the class of 2022. He's hinted at wanting to link up. He says there's something special brewing in Eugene. He feels like something special is going on in Eugene and, and is strongly considering being a part of it. Offers from everybody, Alabama, Auburn, Florida, Florida State, Georgia, LSU, Michigan, Ohio State, the whole world. Ruben Owens is huge. Big time get. And what would matter? And I'm not saying he's committed. Obviously, he's not. He's just looking at his options. But what did he say was one of the biggest things? Oregon's been selling me that their scheme is going to feature running backs. Everybody says that. You know what I watched on TV myself when Oregon played Ohio State? 
I watch CJ Verdell do what I can do or do what I hope to do in a scheme in a program. And not only did he do it, but he did it on the road against one of the top programs in the country and earned the Maxwell Player of the Week award. That's the kind of scheme I want to run. Those are the kind of holes I want to be able to run through. Oregon made a big impression on Reuben Owens. They moved up for Reuben Owens, and he is now wanting to visit Oregon. And you look and you say, you know, why did Oregon make such a push in Texas? Yes, California's down this year. And I, I forget the exact numbers, but it's something like in terms of blue chip prospects. Everybody knows the general three states are Texas, Florida, and California for blue chip prospects. That's where those are the big three states for talent producers. I think California has something like 18 four star, five star prospects total in their state. Texas has something like 63 and Florida has something like 40. Those are usually close. Those are usually all close. California, Texas, Florida, they're all battling to be number one. This is a year where California has less than a third the amount of blue chip talent as Texas. So Oregon went, well, if we want elite talent, we might have to leave the West region because it's a little bit of a down year in California. So they went to Texas. Five-star offensive tackle, Kelvin Banks, boom. Four-star guard tackle, Cameron Williams, done. Beat out Texas and Oklahoma. Landon Hullaby, a three- or four-star safety, got him. Steven Johnson, a three-star wide receiver who was one of the stars at Saturday Night Live and probably deserves a fourth star. Got him. Nicholas Anderson, the number seven wide receiver in the country, an Under Armour All-American. Boom, got him. What does that do for you? Yes, individually, those, ta- those players are talented. Kelvin Banks Jr., the highest-rated offensive lineman in the history of the program. That's a talented piece. But it also sets the table. Because once you get a handful of those guys, they're on your campus. From then on, the younger players go, yeah, I was thinking about going to Oregon, but I don't know anybody there. Now they can go, well, I know Kelvin. I know Nicholas. I know Steven. And they can go and visit and reconnect with buddies, and it doesn't seem like it's as far a trip. That's how you open pipelines. That's what that pipeline is. It's that connection. Kid goes there, has some struggles with his family. Coaching staff rallies around him genuinely. Not, not as a shtick, not as a, not as a maneuver, but a kid deals with something on your campus and you, you help him get through it. And not only that, but then maybe he has success on the football field. Well, his high school coach goes, man, you know, player X that I, that went to Eugene, he really dealt with a lot. And the coaching staff rallied around him. They helped him get through that. He's a productive player. He could have, he could have stayed home and got into the wrong circles, or he could have stayed home and been too connected or too close to it and and been derailed from his own dream. But he went away, and Oregon staff managed to really keep him on track. And then from then on, when kids are like, hey, I'm kind of looking to maybe leave Texas, their high school coach can be like, you know what? Oregon does a nice job of taking care of players that move away. You have a Texas player that potentially comes to your program and goes on to the NFL? That's something people pay attention to. Look at Jalil Tucker and Jalil Florence out of San Diego, Lincoln High School in San Diego. Both are really talented players. Jalil Tucker, number four athlete in the country. Jalil Florence is like the number 33 corner. He'll end up being a top 10 or 15 corner in the country. Absolutely shut down a five-star receiver, held him to no catches. That kid's special. You talk to them about what interested them in Oregon. They're like, hey, we've got the connection to Oregon. San Diego is a pipeline. Achilles Smith went there. He had success. 
Other guys have gone there. Byron Cardwell recently, a running back from San Diego. He went up there. He's enjoying it. He might get some chance to play early. Yes, that's there. The other piece was Javon Holland, Thomas Graham Jr. They went up there. They went up, they went up to Oregon from California and now they're millionaires. They're playing in the NFL, D'Amador Lenore, and now they're killing it. At the NFL level, Javon Holland, early second round pick. D'Amador Lenore gets the start, plays more snaps in week one in the NFL than any other player in all of football. Something like 90 snaps. That sounds wrong. 70 snaps? It was more snaps than any player in all of the NFL. D'Amador Lenore in his first game. And they're like, look, they took players and turned them into NFL players. That's how you build a pipeline. Have success with kids from that area. And that's what Oregon's getting involved in here with Texas. And that's why that opens up potentially Ruben Owens as a potential get. Because it's not just him. He tweeted it. Hey, Kelvin, what's up? We're like, you know, Oregon's interesting. I might want to connect here. Instead of him going out on an island, he's got Kelvin, another five-star recruit from Texas that's interested in going there and is committed there. It makes the transition easier. That's how you build the pipeline. Oregon State had their first home game of the season and hosted a number of in-state recruits who enjoyed the trip. They did a nice job. They hosted class of 2024 top 100 overall prospect Joey Olson out of Lake Ridge High School, six foot five, 200 pounds. And I, I gotta be honest, I said on the show when I previewed the last show, I previewed who was gonna visit and I said Joey Olson isn't six five. Well, as of his last measurement, he wasn't six five. He wasn't. He was not six five. Trust me. But he has grown since then. <laughs> he hit a growth spurt, and now he's a legit. I have it from a tr- source I very well trust. He is now officially like maybe a fraction of an inch below six five. He, I mean, it'd like be like six four and seven eighths or something like that. He's six five now. He wasn't. He was more like 6'3 when I last or when he last had an official measurement. He is legit six foot five, two hundred pounds. So I apologize to him. I apologize to uh, the math nerds out there who are all about the exact measurements. Because if I call somebody out and he's like, "Listen, he's not this height," and then he's like, "Well, actually, I grew and I am." The scary thing about that, and, and it's not scary. It's a good. It's a good problem to have because he's so fast. He's six five, two hundred pounds, and he's young. He's probably going to end up being a tight end because he's only a sophomore and it's, it's September of his sophomore year. So he just started his sophomore year and he's six, five, 200 pounds. It is not weird to think he would gain 20 pounds of muscle in his last three years of high school. If he does that, he's six, five to 20. That's a really big wide receiver. I think he's probably more of a tight end. Had a good visit to Oregon state, really likes what the Beavers are doing. So that was a good sign. Demarcus Houston, who, uh, you know, is somebody that I've been pretty close to. I really like him. I think he, you know, he lists, he's listed 6'2". He's a little smaller than that. I think he's about 6'1". He's a talented corner. He visited Oregon. He went to, he went to Oregon State. He's going back to Oregon this weekend. He'll probably be back at Oregon State. I think he's a kid that wants to stay in state in the end. I, I think probably he ends up being a, a duck or a beaver and the beavers offered first they did a really nice job for the west albany star he had a nice visit he's related to that staff really well getting along with that staff really well drew rodriguez out of sprague visited and he loved his visit he's hoping to be an in-state offer guy a class of 2023 prospect he had a great visit he has had a phenomenal phenomenal start to his junior season he's had a pick six in each 
of his first two games, as well as another interception, plus a handful of receiving touchdowns. And he is absolutely unquestionably an early candidate to be the Gatorade player of the year in the state of Oregon, similar to how Cole Prusha just kind of came on the scene in like a five or six game season last year for Tualatin and was just a monster on both sides of the ball. According to different publications, Cole Prusha was the number one or was the defensive player of the year in Oregon. And on another one, he was the offensive player of the year in Oregon. So you could make a case that he was the best offensive player in Oregon and defensive player in the in Oregon. And Drew Rodriguez is, is having a similar season. Dominating at receiver, absolutely clamps, clamps all over the field, corner and nickel uh, for Sprague. Drew Rodriguez, really, really talented player. He visited uh, Brody Coppich, the class of 2022 prospect, who's really gaining steam, six foot four, 220 pounds. Picked up an offer from Eastern Washington, picked up an offer from Portland State. He visited Oregon State. I really like him. I don't know how many spots they have left at linebacker, but he's a talented, talented player. He had a good visit. So a number of kids for Oregon State really enjoying their visits. And of course, uh, we also, during that game, got a chance to see Chase Nolan or Chance Nolan as the starter. And again, going back to even Oregon State fans who don't want to hear it, even Oregon State fans are like, Nimick. You said forever recruiting matters. We didn't recruit very well. It gave me no hope. I hate you. And there are a lot of those. I told you Chance Nolan could be really special because he's the number one junior college quarterback in the entire country when he came out and chose the Beavers. That's a huge get. The number one junior college quarterback in the country. I was shocked when I heard it was Neuer and Jebbia. I mean, I have tweets that go back and, and I said last year that I thought Nolan would potentially beat out Jebbia for the starting job. Now, when COVID hit and practices were all discombobulated, I scaled that back and said he hasn't had a chance to learn the playbook because everything's so muddled with, with COVID restrictions. So I don't think he'll win it, but he could next year. Well, they bring in Neuer and it becomes most people think a Neuer Jebbia thing and I'm, Okay, I get it. I mean, Neuer's got the experience. Jevia played last year a little bit and, and was a gamer at times and, and is a good football player, but Nolan on tape's the better quarterback, but okay, they know more than I do, for sure, right? I mean, you know, I don't think that's a stretch. Oregon State's coaching staff knows their roster better than I do. But from a pure scouting standpoint, Nolan's the best quarterback of the group. So Jebby's a little banged up. Neuer gets the start. Neuer struggles a little bit, and that was probably uncharacteristic. I think if Neuer starts that season opener 10 times against Purdue. I think he has a better performance than that eight of them. I just think he had an off day, but it opened the door for Nolan and Nolan showed what he could do. And the number, the, the top two things I said in my scouting report, he does not have a cannon for an arm, but he throws a really catchable deep ball. In other words, he airs it out nicely and drops it in nicely. We saw that on one of his first passes for the Beavers. And also he doesn't necessarily need to run. He can run. He's, he's a dual threat guy. But he also does a nice job of off-platform, outside the pocket, keeping plays alive and finding his receivers. Well, that's what we saw last week in his first start. I think they have their answer at Chance Nolan, and I think Chance Nolan's got a chance to be a future NFL quarterback. I don't necessarily think he's a first or second round guy. In fact, I don't think he has the arm strength to be that guy. I just don't think he's going to be that guy. But I do think he probably ends up being a late NFL draft pick, and I do think Chance Nolan is the answer in Corvallis at the quarterback position. That is a wonderful, wonderful answer to get two weeks into the year. You're one and one. You're disappointed. You lost to Purdue. Okay, I get it. 
Lost to Purdue sucks. You're bummed. You felt like if you win that game, you've got an inside track potentially for a bowl game. But if you had 2-0 and and quarterback questions or 1-1 and and a clear answer at quarterback who's not a senior, and I'm Oregon State, I think I'd rather have 1-1. One one. You never wish a loss, but I think I'd rather be 1-1 one one with a young answer at quarterback than 2-0 and not knowing who my quarterback is. And obviously it's not a, you know, it's not an either or. Ideally, you'd like to go 2-0 and and have Chance Nolan as your quarterback. But again, given the choice, 1-1 one and one or 2-0, 2-0 and with no quarterback future and 1-1 one and one with a proven quarterback as your future, I'd rather have 1-1. One one. Chance Nolan's a dude. I really like what he brings to the table. Really talented. I think he completed like his first 12 passes during the game. Uh, I think the record was 15, and he finally threw an incomplete pass, I think, on his 13th attempt. But I love Chance Nolan. I've been high on him for a long time. Again, hashtag recruiting matters. We keep coming back to this fact. Recruiting matters. It's, it's amazing how many times that it's like, man, that kid's good. It's like, well, go back and look at his offers. Avery Roberts, one of the top two tacklers in the Pac-12. Shocking. He was an All-American in high school. Omar Spates finished in the top two in the Pac-12 in tackles. Let's go back and look. Oh, before he transferred to Oregon, uh, Crescent Valley High School, when he played in Pennsylvania, he was a four-star prospect and one of the highest rated commits in the history of the program on the defensive side of the ball. That panned out. Tajon Lindsay's a go-to receiver. Former All-American, former five-star recruit, dropped down to four-star, but very, very talented. Deshaun Fenwick, a legit SEC prospect. B.J. Baylor uh, is the is the outside part of that, right? The hidden gem that's a big-time player. And I think B.J. Baylor is a a big-time player. But when you look at this roster, a number of the players that are really the standout players are your higher-rated recruits. And Chance Nolan just continues that trend. Hashtag recruiting matters. Oregon high school football season, a little bit of a wild one. Uh, Nelson High School and Central Catholic High School are supposed to play uh, this weekend. That game is canceled. And I believe, based on the sourcing I have, it's due to COVID issues at Nelson High School, and they're going to have to forfeit that game. I don't know if that's official yet. That's where this is headed. By the time you listen to this, I would imagine that would be official. If it is not, I apologize. Uh, But that is what uh, my sourcing seems to indicate there. But this is a wild, wild year for Oregon High School football because there is no favorite. And certainly when we think of who the favorites normally are, it's certainly not Jesuit. I think Jesuit's one of nine teams that could win it. And they could win the state title. I don't want Jesuit people to listen to this and be like, oh, Andrew's hating on Jesuit. Andrew's hating on Jesuit. He thinks they can't win. No, they can. They're just not the favorite. They're just not the overwhelming favorite. Central Catholic is a favorite, but Clackamas is in there. West Lynn's in there. Lake Oswego's in there. Tualatin is very much in there after going down to California and beating Menlo Atherton. There have been years where Camus played Central Catholic when, when Central Catholic was a state title contender here, and Camus beat them st- something like 42 to 7. Clackamas went up to Camus and beat them Fair, fairly easily. West Lynn's a great football program with Chance Harmon at quarterback. They've got an answer there. Mark Hamper is a linebacker who's a quality prospect. I think it's the 101st meeting this, this year, will be the 101st meeting of the Battle of the Bridge between West Lynn and Oregon City. It's 
crazy. I was a ball boy for Oregon City for some of those years. One of the best years ever. It was the year the, that uh, Oregon City went to the state title game and played a very loaded Roosevelt team, uh, Roseburg, excuse me, a Roseburg team that had like six or seven uh, D1 players on it, which at the time in Oregon was unheard of. And most of them were linemen. Oregon City ended up losing to that Roseburg team in a very, very good state title game. Uh, coach of that Oregon City team was Ed Burton. Greg Lord was the defensive coordinator. Uh, I learned every iteration of the F word I could have possibly learned from Greg Lord. Uh, interesting times. Uh, but, uh, that I believe it was that year. It might've been the year before. Cause I was a ball boy the year before as well for Oregon city. And, uh, they they played West Lynn one year when Cade McNown, who ended up being a, going to UCLA, being a first-round pick of the Chicago Bears, Cade McNown actually transferred to West Lynn for his senior year. Cade McNown, before he went to UCLA, was the quarterback of West Lynn High School for his senior year in high school. And so Oregon City-West Lynn that year was just a monster game, just an absolute monster game. So I remember iterations and, and famous versions of, of the Oregon City Westland battle. So I'm really looking forward to that 101st meeting. I know, I think they wanted to have a pretty big blowout for the 100th meeting last year, but because of COVID, they couldn't. I think they might be rolling something out for the 101st edition. And I'm really excited about it. And I, I'm not a part of it. I didn't play in it. Uh, but I did have a small part as the ball boy <laughs> as a young kid uh, for some of those. Yeah, it wasn't last year, a couple of years ago. It was when I was in third and fourth grade uh, being the ball boy for Oregon City. But but those are those are very meaningful games. I've been on the sideline for those games. I've been in the locker room as guys get prepped for those games. And there's an added intensity to those. But anyway, West Lynn has a chance to win the state title. There are a number of teams that have a chance to win the state title. Nobody's got loaded offensive lines. Nobody has that bona fide five-star recruit, but a number of teams are very talented in terms of the average player. And I think what happened during COVID is a number of guys, more than most, had time to focus on their bodies because I'm watching film and across the board, I'm just seeing slightly better football players. Now, again, I'm not seeing a Colt Lyerla. I'm not seeing a Thomas Tyner, five-star recruits. I'm not seeing a Justin Herbert at quarterback anywhere in the state. But the average kid, the average outside linebacker, the average safety, the average guard, those guys are a little bit bigger than they used to be. They're a little bit better than they used to be. And I don't know if that's because of private training. I don't know, again, because of COVID, there was a shutdown and nobody was in school, so they had time to focus on lifting. But it seems like they took it seriously. And we're seeing that in the results. Clackamas thumps Camus. Tualatin goes down and beats Menlo Atherton. And then Tualatin, who you could argue and maybe you should, is the number one team in the state, plays a 5A Silverton team. And I've talked about this. The 5A level has just sucked for the last few years. And I'm sorry. People can get mad if they want to. It's true. Outside of Thurston High School, who's been phenomenal, the 5A level's just been bad. But Silverton, who's not even the number one team in 5A, goes toe-to-toe with Tualatin and almost beats them last week. Unbelievable. I think the talent in Oregon, top-level talent, not as present as it normally is. Oregon doesn't have a single player that in their class is a top 50 prospect in the, in the country. There's just not that superstar guy. There aren't even, you know, there aren't three or four of them. Darius Clemens is very good. I think he's outside the top 100, and he's very, very good. Um, you know, he's got an offer from Alabama, Penn State, Auburn, Oregon, good football player, really good football player, taking nothing away from him, but you know, not your top 50 player in the country. Joey Olson's a really good player. He's a sophomore. 
He's the highest rated player in the state. He's a sophomore. So there's not that top end talent. But again, I think the average player in Oregon is better than the average player was 10 years ago. And I don't necessarily think that was the case five years ago. I think five years ago, the teams from 10 years ago would have thumped the teams from five years ago. But I think football is getting a little better. And it's nice to see. It's encouraging. And it's going to be a lot of fun to watch the rest of the way. Oregon, potentially a college football playoff run. Oregon State, a potential bowl run. And Oregon high school football. Usually you get to the semifinals before things get interesting. And even then, sometimes it's not close. Even then, sometimes. I mean, Justin Herbert was the quarterback for Sheldon a few years ago. A lot of years ago now. Gosh, I'm getting old. And they played Jesuit. And it was like 35 to 7. The game wasn't even close. And Sheldon had Justin Herbert because Jesuit had, you know, Henry Mondo, who's in the NFL, and Jordan Happel, who plays for Oregon, you know, multiple, multiple D1 guys, multiple NFL guys. So they just handled them. Sometimes it takes until the final till the games are close. And this year, the quarterfinals are going to be great. When they get down to eight teams, I would guess that any eight of the quarterfinal teams will have a chance to win the state title. And I can't remember any time anytime in all the time that I've been around Oregon high school football. And I grew up watching it religiously. I grew up here. I was a ball boy for Oregon city in third and fourth grade. And I never really stopped watching football from then. So since 94, I've watched Oregon high school football pretty religiously. And I don't remember a year where there were eight teams that could win the state title, nine teams that could win the state title. Those quarterfinal games are going to be amazing. And it's going to come down to matchups. It's going to be a lot of fun. So big years ahead, Oregon high school football, anyone can win. Well, any of eight or nine teams can win. Oregon State competing for a bowl game and Oregon competing for a college football playoff berth and potentially setting the stage for the best recruiting class in program history in 2023. I'm calling my shot right now. It will be the best recruiting class in the history of the program. And I'll go even a step further. If, and it's this is a big if, if Oregon makes it to the national title game, or makes it to the college football playoff, they will finish with a top three recruiting class nationally in 2023. I think that's about as good a way to send this one off as it can get. Please subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts, whether that's Apple Podcasts or Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Go ahead and give us a subscription, a follow, a like, however Uh, you go about doing that on your various apps. If it does ask you for a review, leave a five-star review. This is recruiting. We're constantly talking about three and four and five-star recruits. I'm not a five-star host, but this might be five-star content, right? I hope. I hope it's a deep dive that gives you five-star content and a little hidden secret here. Oregon men's basketball may not be done adding talent. So there's something to chew on before next week's show. Thank you for listening. Appreciate you.